1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, this is what it reads. It says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, so that it might be complained that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Pray. God, I pray this morning that you would make us confident in you, uh, in your truth and not whatever we manufacture. In your ability and not our ability, in your righteousness, not our righteousness, God, we would be confident in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray as we read your word that it would really read us, speak to us. God, that you would just um, remove me from this whole situation and speak through me. God, that you would be glorified, that our hearts would um, soar with affection and worship and praise of you, Lord, the worship that you uh, deserve, not just uh, vain uh, speaking or uh, pretending, Lord, but genuine worship with our whole lives. God, that's what you deserve. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done to bring us into this place where we know that we aren't here by accident. I know I'm not here by accident. You purchased us with your own blood. Lord Jesus, you've gone through so much in order for us to be here today. We are your people. You are our God. We pray that you would speak to us and make us into the people that you desire us to be here in Russia. So we ask for your help now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if you have a car, or if you've driven a car, and if it's not an antique car, uh, then you probably have something on your dashboard that lights up from time to time, right? You have these little warning lights on your dashboard. They might pop up, and they're there to indicate some kind of warning to you, aren't they, right? You know that these things are there for a good reason. They're trying to be your friend, you know? Uh, they're saying, hey, pay attention. Uh, something's not right. And there's something off here. Things aren't going the way they should be going. And uh, if you're anything like me, you just kind of want them to go away, you know? You just kind of want them to disappear. 
and uh, you just hope maybe the next time you turn on your car, they just don't come back on. And if they don't, you're like, sweet, I was win, right? I don't know what it was, just being finicky, you know, technology, you know, technology is weird like that, right? We just want these things that are trying to be our friend to go away, because you might think, if you're like me, I don't have time for that, you know? I don't have the money for that. Uh, whatever it is, I just think, how, maybe it'll be fine. Maybe it'll be fine, but what are we doing? That's a tempting solution. We know there's a tempting solution, but if you ignore those warning lights, what are you doing? You're just kind of storing up trouble for yourself, aren't you? These verses that we read here are flipping on a warning light in your life and mine. God is, God's being your friend, okay? And he's turning on a light and he's putting his finger on something. And if we ignore this light, it's not just that we might end up on the side of the road someday. Uh, the ramifications are actually eternally devastating. And so this is what we're going to see this morning, um, if you want to know where we're headed. So we see this warning, this warning light of being deceived. And this leads us to this question, okay? How do you know that you have the right knowledge? How do you know that you're not believing the wrong thing? Which is a counter, we have a counterintuitive answer to that question that we'll see. And it'll actually lead to the next question. Okay, how do I know I have the Spirit? And the answer to that is actually really counterintuitive as well. But it'll finally lead us to that final question that this passage answers for us. Okay, how do I avoid being deceived? How do I avoid being deceived? How do I not store up this trouble for myself, essentially? So let's look at this warning of being deceived. Verse 18 and 19. John says what? Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be complained, they all are not of us. Something important about me, one of my favorite movies of all time, is The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. Judge me if you want. I don't know if you've seen that movie. But in the movie, for almost the entire movie, you're watching these people live in this village. It's entertaining. It's good. But you're constantly feeling like there's something that I don't know that I need to know. And then at some point in the movie, you're made privy of this historical reality of the characters in the movie. And all of a sudden, everything makes sense. And I won't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. Okay? But this is pretty typical, actually, of most stories in general, books or movies or TV shows. You enter into the story, you are exposed to these characters, and right away you're trying to follow along. You're like, there's things I don't know that I need to know. And eventually those come out in the story. That's exactly what we see here happening in 1 John. Because the first part of this letter has been hinting at these various issues or concerns that John might have with these followers of Jesus during this day and age. But it's not until here we're finally like, oh, this is what's going on. I finally know the backstory here. Things are being enlightened to us of what's actually going on in the historical context. And what we find here is really informing us in a really big way of what all the other things we've been looking at every single week have been tied to. It's this thing right here. And John begins by saying what? We're in the last days. The last days... Is not meant to be some gloomy, sort of uh, apocalyptic sort of uh, way of talking about things. It's just a reference to the time between Jesus' death and resurrection and when he comes again and judges the world. When he rights all wrongs and makes all things new. It's that span of time. And the author here says, 
He knows that we are in the last days because of the presence of Antichrists. Do you see that in verse 18? It says, it is the last hour. Many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. We know because Antichrists are on the scene, they're present. Now I know that Halloween was last week, and this word Antichrist probably triggers some feelings and images in your mind about maybe horror movies or some things like that. This sounds intense, Antichrist, you know? It is intense, but probably not for the reasons you think it is intense. Broadly speaking, an Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That's it. How do we know this? Well, we're told this in verse 22. Look at it. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He, whoever, denies the Father and the Son. So there are people who are opposed to Jesus. They are denying something or some things about Jesus. And so this is a really important question now at this point. Where are these people at? Where are they coming from? They're coming from inside the church, aren't they? Right? These antichrists that John's warning his readers about, they're located inside the community of faith. Right? You see, we often think, I think of the greatest warnings as warnings located outside the community of faith. But here the great warning light pops on and says, this is an inside job. Something's going wrong. There's almost a rhythm to the way that John writes this in verse 19, right? It almost feels poetic or something. They went out from us, but they are not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, they might be complaining that they all are not of us. So people are leaving the church, you guys. People are watching. People leave. Not just generally speaking, people, teachers, pastors, if you will. People who have had influence over and in the church are leaving the church. They belong to the church in an outward kind of way. But by them departing from the church, they're actually revealing that they were never truly of us. What John means is that these people did not have genuine faith. If they had genuine faith, they would have continued with us. Have you ever experienced or witnessed this in your own life? Maybe in your own church. Maybe church you're part of in the past. Maybe experiences in our church. I think if you've been in a Christian really at the time, I bet you have. You've seen people claim Jesus. Maybe you even saw some change in their lives. And maybe you've added more influential leader. In your life, even. When they left the faith for something that they think is a newer, truer, more improved version of the faith. They might even say that they still love Jesus, or they even like Jesus, but they only like part of Jesus. I'm sure without laboring through examples, you're coming up with people in your own mind right now that went out from us, right? So can I just ask you a pastoral type question? When that happens, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Do you feel just angry? Do you feel prideful that you say they left? So in your response, it's kind of like, whatever, man, good luck with that. Is that how you feel? I, I don't know, I think a lot of us can hear of someone leaving and we, we kind of shake our heads and we internally get a kick out of the drama. We might even use 
their departure to feel better about ourselves. We use their departure to validate ourselves as maybe the true ones. That's just ugly pride. When someone leaves and reveals that they were not of us, we must recognize that. And let it inform what days we are living in. But there should be a compassionate sadness. There should be a mourning over the fact that someone we love and have considered family has been deceived and has walked away from the truth, even if they are celebrating that what they found is truth. Well, why should we have this posture as you? Well, do you remember what John begins his letter with? He begins by saying that he wants them, these readers, to not follow after them. Why? So that they can share in fellowship with him. Right, there's a grief that we should have here. There should be a grief that's understood in the statement. If there isn't a grief, I don't think we're reading it well. So this is the warning line. People are going to try to deceive you, and this leads us to these questions throughout the next verses. First, how do I know I have the right truth? That's a great, that's a great question. I'm asking that question, right? How do I know I have the right truth? What if the people that are left are right? You know? What if they are right? Well, the answer to that question might surprise you. You see it in verse 20 and 27. What does it say? You have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. That's a contrast to these people. Verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So how do we know that we have the right knowledge, and those that have been of us and have gone out from us don't? Well, the answer is pretty counterintuitive to what you think. What's his answer? You have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. And at first glance, you might go, that's not my question. You know, how do I know? So, no, you have the Spirit. That's the, that's the answer. This is what John is referring to when he says in verse 20, that you have been anointed by the Holy One, which is a reference to Jesus. Holy One's a reference to Jesus. So, you see this in the Gospels, when the demons, you know, encounter Jesus, they go, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus, right? This is a reference to Jesus. What was he saying? You've been anointed by the Holy One, Jesus, and you all have knowledge. Notice it doesn't say you have all knowledge, but you all have knowledge. It's not a reference to the amount of knowledge you have, but who has the knowledge, right? In other words, there aren't any in Jesus' community that are lacking the knowledge they need. Why? Because you have been anointed. And in the Old Testament, anointing, which was often done with oil, was an outward... Um, Symbol of that person possessing the Spirit. Okay, so here you are anointed by the Holy One. This is a reference to the Spirit. That's why Jesus spoke of the Spirit when he was going to send in John 14. I think I, I remember the narrow, okay, sweet. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Which is why down in verse 27, John says that the anointing you receive from him, from whom Jesus abides in you. The Holy Spirit abides in you. It's the same anointing that's referred to in verse 20. It's an anointing of the Holy One, which leads him to say in verse 27 that because you have the Spirit, you not only have all knowledge, but you have no need that anyone should teach you, but His anointing teaches you about everything. So what's John saying? That there's no need for someone like me to stand up here every week and preach? 
It's my last sermon, guys. You know, we all know, right? We all have this stuff, right? We shouldn't have men's and women's ministries or small groups. You should never listen to a podcast, right? Not at all. In fact, John's writing a letter to teach them something. So it's not really about the teaching. What's he mean by all this then? He's actually talking about the priesthood of all believers. That's what he's talking about. He's making the point that one of the Spirit's primary roles is to teach us, and since we all who receive Jesus and his gospel have the Spirit, we all have the same access to the same knowledge. Therefore, I'm just a vessel, you guys. I don't have secret knowledge you don't have access to. Right? I, what I'm doing up here is not special. And it's not that I have special knowledge that you need access to, and you can't have it unless you have me or something like that. That's why he says you all have knowledge. And that's the great identifier of people who try to deceive you. Because deceivers have the perspective that they know something you don't know and that you can only get from them. John is saying, there's no need for someone to come alongside of you and say, I know that you've heard about Jesus in the gospel. Here's what you don't know. Right? Here's what you don't know. Deceivers add to and they subtract from the gospel. That's what deceivers do. They say, yeah, that part of Jesus is great. We also know what we need. We also need this too. Or yeah, that part of Jesus is great. We know what part of Jesus you can ignore. You don't have to worry about that part. That's, that's a deceiver for you. It's, it's Jesus plus or minus thing. It's not just the whole Jesus. Take it or leave it. John said, you don't need a teacher in that way. You have a spirit. You have the same access to God. You all have the resources you need. So how do you know that you have the right knowledge? Well, it's not by having the right information, per se. It's by having the right person. It's by having the spirit. If you have the spirit, then you have the right knowledge. Having one, by nature, gives you the other. Okay? So it's like if you live in a rainy climate, like the Pacific Northwest, that means I also have something else as a result of that. Right? You can list a lot of things, probably. None of which, nonetheless, is we're going to have a lot of green around us, aren't we? It rains all the time. So I'm going to have green valleys, green mountains, green grass, all that kind of stuff. Because I have rain, I have green, right? Contrarily, like if I live in a desert climate and I don't get much rain, it's going to be brown and ugly, isn't it? Right? We, we know this. If I have rain, I'm going to have green. But just because I have green doesn't mean I have rain. Go to Southern California, you'll see some green. doesn't mean they have rain, though, you know? Because I have one, I have the other. That's what he's saying. Because you have the spirit, you have green. Right? You, you have green. You have knowledge. Next important question. All right? How do I know the spirit? That's a great, that's a great question. What do we see here in verse 21? It says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know him. And because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but who confesses the Son has the Father also. So people have gone out from them. There's been this church split, if you will, over what? Well, it's not over musical preference. No, it's not over kids' ministry or because someone liked the pastor or didn't like the pastor or whatever. Or because another church popped up down the street that people like better or something like that. It wasn't over trivialities. What did the church blow up over? They blew up over Jesus. They blew up over Jesus. People were saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. And you go, oh, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe in? Well, I believe this about Jesus. Well, that's not the Jesus I believe in. And there was a split. 
the responses were beginning to vary to the point that people weren't embracing the whole Jesus. They were just believing parts about it. Okay? So what does our text say reveals how I know I have the Spirit? How do you know you have the whole Spirit? What does your passage say? Well, I embrace the whole Jesus. I embrace the whole Jesus. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because not only we think of, we think of, how do I know I have the Spirit? Here, I embrace the whole Jesus. Why do I say that? Because those who have the Spirit, look at verse 20, are said to what? They're said to know, verse 21. But those who deny Jesus, verse 22, don't have the Spirit. How do we know they don't have the Spirit? Verse 23 tells you, they don't have God. By the Son, I am the Father. By the Father, I am the Son. And by the Spirit, Jesus. I don't have the Father, the Son. I don't have the Spirit. John says that they do not have the Father, the Son. If you deny the Son, you know the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The two go together. Right? The Father and the Son are not just good friends. They don't just simply like each other. So if you like one or not the other, one of them is really hurt by that or something. You know? But they go together, right? To have a son is to have a spirit. To have a father is to have a son. If you don't have one, you don't have God. This is what these deceiving false teachers are doing. Uh, when I think of false teachers, I have to think of a time a few years ago when Eden, my daughter, who's now eight, at the time she's probably four or five, she walks in the house and she's holding something behind her back and she says, Daddy, close your eyes. And I kind of did. I still was looking. And she like whipped around her back this like green weed. It's like a clover. She goes, surprise, it's a flower. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. Thank you. And then Tucker, her older brother, said, that's not a flower, Eden. That's a 40-leaf clover. <laughs> and I was watching some old thinking, man, this is adorable. You know? I have no idea what this is. I have no clue what this thing is that she's holding. Right? One has it maybe a little more right than the other, but neither are right. And it wasn't a four-leaf clover, I didn't strike it rich, okay? It was, it was a three-leaf, okay? But see, you can take something, you can present it well, you can be really cute about it, but it doesn't make it true. You can also appear to sound smart, you can correct other people, and claim that you know truth, and that might be more true, and it still might be cute. It doesn't mean it's true. You're still wrong. You may be closer, you're still wrong. Maybe it's a clover. If you say it's a 40 leaf clover, not a 3 leaf clover, you're still wrong. You're still wrong. That's what these people are doing. As Jesus is being held out, they're saying, oh yes, Jesus was real. He wasn't the Christ. And someone else is saying, oh, he was real, but he's only spirit. So it's like, oh, no, no, no. Jesus, he was spirit. He wasn't fully human. In other words, he's a flower, he's a 40-leaf clover, and John says, don't buy into the cute antics. Right? The spirit of our age, I don't know if it's much different. How we carry, we cherry-pick Jesus? Think of Jesus like a buffet? You know? But John says, Jesus is like a casserole. You know? We don't walk into Jesus and say, I like this part of Jesus, and oh, I love that part of Jesus, and uh, not that one, um, but maybe someone else will like that one, you know, tell you for a reason, so... And then we kind of keep going down the line. You know, I'm not really into that part, so I'll leave that here. No, Jesus is a casserole. You can't pick and choose the ingredients you want to eat in the casserole. You receive the casserole in all of its glory. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you have to eat the green parts of it. You know? 
So we can't pick and choose parts of Jesus. If you do, what happens? You have no Jesus. We know this intuitively with other relationships, don't we? If you're wanting to date somebody, right? You're looking for the person of your dreams. You might have a list, a written one, or a mental one, maybe. I don't know. You want someone who's kind. You want someone who's a good listener. Right? Someone who likes to hike the gorge. You know, and they, they love going to the same concerts as you. They hate the coast. They love the mountains. You know, they, they love reading, but not at the expense of watching a good show or something. It's an extensive list, I imagine. Your list is extensive. But let's just say you meet someone and they are really kind. It's good. They don't listen all that well. They don't like hiking, but they love cycling. That doesn't really add up. You both love the same bands, though. You go to the same concerts. That's great. Check. They hate the coast because they're afraid of the tsunami like you are, right? They love the mountains. They hate reading, though. And they watch way too much TV. Okay? Now, what, you can, what can you not do if you want to be with that person? Right? You can't say, hey, let's get married. And here's the things about you that I like and I'll keep and the rest of it gotta go away. Right? That person's gonna say what? They're gonna say, you don't get how this works, do you? Have you not heard John Legend saying, all of me loves all of you, and all your perfect imperfections, right? Like, we know this. I can't just pick and choose parts of you. You are you. I receive all of you, or I receive none of you, really. It's the buffet approach to relationships. So, the question then is, how might I be getting in line for a Jesus buffet this morning? I think first John hits on this in a few places in his letter. I think naturally the spirit of our age easily picks over the juice of faith as it relates to our sin and atonement of our sin. Right, we see in chapter 1 that if we deny our sin, we don't have fellowship with Jesus. I've heard so many Christians, even now, begin to say, you make way too much about sin. Oh man, Christians, you're always making way too much of a big deal about sin. I'm not trying to make a big deal about sin. It's just a big deal. We live in a day and age when people don't think our personal sin is the main problem with the world. We just think that we need to simply be more educated or have the right politics, and that's going to solve everything. There's a really famous response that G.K. Chesterton once gave to a question, what's wrong with the world? He wrote in two simple words, actually only three letters. The question, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton said, I am. I am. He wasn't that bad of a guy. John says, if you know Jesus, you will make as much of your sin as Jesus does. And how much did he make of it? Well, he was put forward as an atoning sacrifice. He died for your sin. We can also see our behavior and neglect to love and do committed life with other believers. So you might hear people say, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm not really into the whole like church community type thing, you know? To which John responds in chapter 2. If you love Jesus, you don't love your brother or sister, that family language stuff. Right? I don't know what Jesus you love. It's not the real Jesus. That's why he says in chapter 2, if you know Jesus, you will love your brother and sister in the same way that he's loved you. Guys, there's a myriad of ways that we treat Jesus like a buffet. We probably go on and on. Where we pick and choose parts of him we want. So how do you have true knowledge? You have the Spirit. How do you have the Spirit? You embrace the whole Jesus. Awesome. Good. Okay? So how do I avoid being deceived? Right? Because it seems like people at one point embraced the message of Jesus and then left. They went out. We get some insight in verses 24 and 27. What does it say? 
So it's like what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, it is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in Him. Verse 26, He's writing... Because people are trying to deceive you. Do you realize people are trying to deceive you? And he's not referring to CNN or Fox News. Okay? This is not. So how do you not be deceived? How do you respond well to the warning lights? Not just go, I'll be fine. Maybe the light will just go off. You know? Right? How do you give in any thought that I'll be deceived? Right? So how do I respond? What should you respond with? Well, it's actually pretty clear here. In the passage, what we were being told to do. The answer to the question, how do I not be deceived, is I stick with the whole Jesus until the end. The word that we see here is the word abide. It's everywhere, isn't it? It comes up five times here. Verse 24, let what we heard abide in us. If it abides in us, then we will abide in God. Then we see verse 27, that the anointing, the spirit that we receive from Jesus abides in us, and as a result, here's the last one, abide in Him. Who? Jesus. Right? So, words and God, the Spirit, abide in me, and I abide in God. Things are abiding in me, I'm abiding in a person. Okay? And I love this word abide. It's a great word, one of my favorite words of all time. It also feels kind of vague, doesn't it? You know, some of you are super artsy and abstract, and you, you love the abstract, and so when you hear the word abide in Jesus, you just feel it. You're like, yes, I do. You know, and probably a lot of us just go, that's too abstract. I think I'll move on. You know? I don't know what that means. Okay? Please don't move on okay, from this word. Okay? This is it's not only the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, but this is the heart of how you and I are not to be deceived. What does it mean? Well, for starters, the word abide literally means to remain in a place or a state. Okay? So it carries with it the idea of expecting something in the future. I'm going to remain here because I'm waiting on something that's coming. And it's making your home in something. It's not leaving, it's staying, it's sticking with. That's what it is. Andrew Murray, who lived a very long time ago, he's no longer with us, said the call of Jesus is twofold, and I love this. He says the call of Jesus is twofold. It's come to me, and it's stay with me. That's the call. It's come to me with your sin, and your shame, and your guilt, and I'll take it away. But then it's, don't leave. Stay with me. Remain in me. Draw your life from me. Get your identity from me. This coming and staying with Jesus is what it means to abide, meaning take up residence with Jesus. Make Jesus home. Jesus is your home now. How does that even work? Well, it kind of functionally has to do with words. Verse 24 says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard abides in you. You abide in Him. How does this verse say you abide? It's by having the word you heard abide in you. What's that? John told you in verses 1 through 2, the very beginning of his letter, the gospel. Explaining the words of Jesus and what He's done for us, and as a result, who I now am swim around inside of me and inform me all the time and shape me and remind me of who He is and what He's done for me and who I now am because of that. It's to inform me of what's true and to shape me into who I need to be. So 
I actually don't need to figure out all the false truths that are out there. I don't have to keep up with them all. I just have to abide in the real thing. That's what I'm told to do. As the gospel lives in me and grabs hold of me, that makes me someone. Because where you live completely shapes you in a certain type of person. Where you live, in the world even, in your neighborhoods even, you're being told who you are and how you should think and what you should do and what you should look like, all that kind of stuff. And to put it to you this way, if you went up to somebody in downtown Gresham this afternoon, say you go down there for lunch or something, you go down there for, and you go up to somebody and you just go, hey, where are you from? Where's home? And they had a cowboy hat on, cowboy boots, tight wranglers, piece of straw hanging out of their mouth. They have spurs and even a whip, okay? And they're even patting a horse's back while they're talking to you. And they have a deep southern accent. Without a beat, they say, London, born and bred and raised. All right. Never left. He's here visiting family for two days. You have some follow-up questions. Like, maybe I've never been to London. Maybe you don't know how he wasn't right. Why? Because where you abide, where your home is, the world and the words that you swim in, makes you someone. Where you live shapes you. You're being told constantly what to think, what to believe, who you are, what to care about, what to be after. And if the gospel is what I swim in, that's giving you my answer every day. That makes me someone. We're being told to abide in Jesus, to stick with him until the end, because it makes us someone. It reveals we are his and we have not gone out from him and made our home somewhere else. That guy may have been born in London, but he wasn't raised there. Don't live there now. Who he is is being revealed. See, when Jesus is your hometown, what's that produce? Life. What kind of life? We are told this promise from the lips of God, if we abide in Jesus, he's our home city, is eternal life. If the whole Christ is where eternal life is found, I'm going to abide in him. Guys, there's no life outside of him. Definitely eternal life. And eternal life is not just a someday thing, it's a today kind of thing, too. So how do you know that you're holding on to the gospel? It's when the gospel is holding on to you. How do you know it's holding on to you? You swim in it. You abide in it. You're sticking with Jesus until the end. Let's try to bring this home. Um, the deceivers in our passage, they're denying that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? Meaning that he really is the one that was sent by God into the world. So that he would be our new home. So that he'd be our abiding place. They're denying it. And this is the lie that bites us. If we don't truly believe he is the one that we've waited for, if we don't believe that he has come, so that we can actually now call off the search party. We're not still running around looking for life and meaning and truth. If we don't think he's the one, then we're going to still keep looking, aren't we? The search party is still going to go on. You're left looking and wanting. If you don't believe me, you can consider the great theologian and philosopher Jim Carrey. 
starting the, the mask, you know, probably the most positive, maybe Asinger, event detective, stuff like that, okay? Anyone said this? I think everybody should get rich and famous. You know, be popular in the world, size, spirit of the age, you know? Do everything they ever dreamed of. So you can see it's not the answer. I think we're living in a day when people say, follow your heart, trust yourself. Find your truth. This is not only not true, it's absolutely cruel. Because it's deceiving you towards the wrong end. And we know this, we know this, don't we? We often will stick with Jesus. We leave him in little ways that add up to big departures over time. We leave thinking life, well, it's found somewhere else, maybe. But I'll take this part of Jesus with me as I go. I don't know, maybe you thought leaving Christianity was going to bring you true freedom. Because you just thought it was your parents' old-fashioned religion. Maybe you thought you didn't need someone like Jesus ruling your life. All you really needed was just to do a good deed every day. Right? Or you thought finding your own truth was going to bring you clarity to your life that you thought you were missing. The search party is still going on. Or maybe it's more experiential. You thought eating right and exercising was going to solve everything in your life. Or you thought a new job was going to be the solution because you hated your old job. Or you thought your increased income was going to fix everything. Or you thought a vacation or new goals, new strategies, a new relationship, a new hobby was the truth that you've been missing out on. You thought the praise that you heard ringing in your ears from the crowdsourced ideas of our age when you bought into them was going to last and that was going to be the answer. It's Jesus plus stuff, you know? But you discovered, like, the great theologian Carey, it wasn't the answer. You're still searching. And Jesus knows this. He knows that the only, he's the only one that you're made to abide in. So what do God do? He didn't say good riddance. Good luck with that. No, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world so that you can finally call to search. So you all have knowledge. So the question remains this morning, will you stay or will you go? Will you, what will you do with the warning light? Are you going to ignore it or what are you going to do? Um, it couldn't help but think about that story in John, chapter 6. You remember all these people are flocking to Jesus and they finally encountered parts of him they didn't like? He said some harder things like, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What did they say? Well, it's a hard saying. Who can achieve it? So they do. Skipped over that part of the buffet, they left. They wanted it. One of the buffet. And Jesus, being in tune with their thoughts, said, What? Said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. And she said, As well, do you want to go away as well? Son Peter answered, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are 
holy one of God. Do you want to go away as well? These are the last days, you guys. I don't say that as some... I'm not predicting anything. I'm not Nostradamus or something. I'm not sounding an alarm. I'm not trying to sound gloomy about it. I'm not saying probably what you think I'm saying. I'm just saying what I think John means. There are people that are on the scene that are trying to deceive you away from the whole Jesus. Do you have a paradigm for that? And then you come to a place like Peter where you say, where else am I going to go? I'm not moving. I'm sticking with you, Jesus, to the very end. And therefore what? I know I have a spirit. Because I have a spirit, I have all the resources and knowledge that I need for this life. If you know that, it doesn't make you naive. It makes you wise. So you're just abiding the place that you were made for. So hear the call of Jesus this morning. Come to me. Come to me. With your sin and your shame, your guilt, I'll take it away. And stay. Stay with me till the very end. It's all stay. So grateful, God, for one another and the people in our lives that are constantly pointing us back to you. I can think of probably hundreds of people who had the time to point me back to you. I'm sure we all could. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As our response this morning is communion, like always, and this morning as you go to the table, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come to the table. Where you can sit there and think and pray, reflect on these words. But this meal that we take every week, it's a picture of the gospel that Jesus lived, died, and was raised for me. And this morning, as you take this meal, just like Jesus said in John 6, this is a symbolic image of you abiding. It's a picture of abiding. Whoever eats my flesh drinks my blood. Right? It's a symbolic picture of abiding. And may we come to these tables this morning with grateful hearts that we can even abide, if we even want to abide. That's a miracle of God's grace in our lives. <clears throat>
So let's respond now uh, to God's word of communion.